And it reminded me of uh, my hatred for flossing. <laughs> um, and... Hello and welcome to episode 68 of Rockstar CMO FM. The M is for marketing and the F is for well you decide. As you're probably wondering, does the world need another effing marketing podcast? I'm your host, Ian Truscott, and this podcast serves as my excuse to chat with marketing friends old and new that I've met through my career as a senior marketer and trusted advisor, and hopefully, through these conversations, share some marketing street knowledge that'll bring out the Rockstar CMO in you. Come say hello. We are Rockstar CMO on Twitter and LinkedIn. This episode was recorded on Friday the 25th of June. I hope you've had a good week and you are well, safe, and staying as sane as you feel you need to be. This week, I'm joined by Rockstar CMO advisor Jeff Clark as we continue to discuss brand purpose. I'm delighted to chat to a listener, Julia Bennett, the brand new CMO at global law firm Brown Rudnick. And of course, I will round off the week with my friend and content marketing guru Robert Rose for a chat and a cocktail. Right, let's get started, shall we? On to our first segment. As regular listeners know, Jeff Clark is a former research director at Serious Decisions and Forrester and is now a Rockstar CMO advisor. And this week, we continue to discuss brand purpose, specifically the buzzword of being innovative. Hello, Jeff. Welcome back to Rockstar CMO FM. How are you? I am doing very well. We're having absolutely beautiful summer weather here in the state of Massachusetts. Very nice, very nice. Yes, we've got one of our lovely summer grey days today in that it's warm, but it's grey. We have all sorts of different, I mean, the Inuit may have many words for snow, but I think we should invent many words for (laughs) grey. That's right. Yes, I I was going to say, I remember being transferred to, not transferred, but doing a stint in the UK in Mm -hmm. arriving in July 5th. Yeah. And I was like, what happened to summer? (laughs) <laughs> you know? yeah yeah yeah, yeah. It, it, it did come in august but wow. not in july <laughs> no i think we had ours in april no we've had some good weather but it's just today is great and also you were noticed your absence was noticed i noticed on linkedin that you uh, know gone just a couple of weeks and it's like wow mm-hmm. yeah I, i'm, I'm glad nice. we have uh a fan <laughs> or fans. <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's true. So it's good to have you back, mate. You're obviously the most popular aspect of this show, aside from later oh, on. When I, I can't get some gin, mate. Yeah, really. I can't get more popular in cocktails. <laughs> All right. So this is our second uh, dip into the topic of brand purpose. We started off last week. I think we're planning on three of these, so this will be the middle one. Um, Now, one of the things that we were discussing around brand purpose, and particularly as we're both from the um, background of B2B tech, you know, every vendor is innovative. It's in everybody's brand purpose that they're innovative. Um, And and that, uh, so so what is the purpose of being innovative, Jeff? Why, why Why does everybody need to be innovative in their brand purpose? Well, I am glad you asked that <laughs> because, because <laughs> I mean, innovation is just, and, and this, we, we may even dig more into this into, into session three on the topic because it, it, mm-hmm. it has become one of the more overused mm-hmm. 
terms in business. And certainly in, in B2B technology, it's, it's, it's more than overused. Um, yeah. And, and so I did, I did a, you know, it's like, okay, let's, let's go to Google and see, um, see where this turns up. And I search for most overused business terms. Mm-hmm. Innovation does turn up on number 14 on the list. And um, <laughs> the, uh, and the, the list uh, by a, on a site called simply stated by Kathy Miller says, this used to be a great word, then it lost its innovation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's like it, it's a victim of its own um, uh, anyway success, and and, and yeah. you know, and it it has become kind of a I don't know if you think of it kind of a motherhood and apple pie cliche term. I mean, not that mothers mm-hmm. and apple pie are cliche, but it's just like it. It's obviously a good thing. So you know, we can yeah. step back from the buzzwordness. Uh, uh, and, and, and think about, well, what is really the importance of it? And mm-hmm. I mean, you know, it just purely by definition, it is, you know, you're trying to do something that's new, something that is more cost-effective, efficient, you know, all those great terms that we would talk yeah. about to our clients about how we're going to improve the way they conduct their business. Um, and so, you know, it, so from that perspective, you know, this follows along the lines of discussion we've had about about a lot of uh, certainly purpose last week and before just talking about the role of markers, you know, mm-hmm. un- understand how to communicate to customers, create appropriate content and stuff like that is that innovation. I mean, if you're if you're trying to uh, solve a problem for a client, a challenge, they've got a need. OK, now let's drill into that need. How are different ways we can um, understand the need and how can we talk about it as relative to how we, as the company providing a product or service, are actually supplying, mm-hmm. you know, the solution to that need. So, um, you know, once you've determined kind of what the, the needs of a set of customers are, then you can, and then the purpose of your organization, then you can kind of dig into a little bit about how are we the first people, the first company to address this, how are we the best at doing it or, you know, best at a certain price point or cost of ownership, you know, are we the only ones who figure this out? Um, And, and, and so, you know, that's the, to the, to an extent, it's like with a lot of cliche terms, you really, you want to want to overuse the term. You want to dig more into the substance of what you're trying to do. So that suggests to me that, so it's very tempting to just describe yourself as innovative. It's the same as in, you know, B2B tech. I think we overuse words like the, we're the leading vendor or the, we're the most innovative. We're the easiest to we're, use. We're all of those things, le- right? Yeah. We're the leader yeah. in a niche market that if I define the niche market, that's like yeah, yeah, <laughs> only yeah, so yeah. big. <laughs> but, but so, and you're talking about what the customer needs. Now do customers need every vendor in the market to be innovative? I mean, are they looking for innovation? So there, well, y- yes, you know, and, and again, we don't want to overuse the term, but we do want to say that every customer, um, every customer has something that they're, you know, we're, we're, we're trying to fill a gap that they've got. And, and obviously if we can't fill that gap, we're, we're not likely to be successful. Um, and so, you know, you, you, you just, you know, think back to, you know, I mean, there's, there's sort of the classic innovations around, you know, the automobile supplanted the horse and buggy or, 
you know, we worked at a company that was doing automated language translation that was largely getting supplanted by big companies like a Google who could do it bigger, better, faster. Or, mm. you know, I'm tracking a lot of things going on in the renewable energy business. And so solar energy, you know, production of solar um, panels is making it cheaper, easier, more cost effective to produce power than oil, gas, coal. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's like when you think about the innovation is that and and you know and the needs of the customer is that you got to be thinking about um the the um certainly the the needs they have today but how market dynamics may be changing what they need and how they're going to solve that problem in the future so you you not only want to be able to communicate directly about how you can solve the challenge today but this is where another buzzword comes in thought leadership (laughs) Mm -hmm. the thought leadership Mm -hmm. part is is continually helping the customers to express, talk about their needs, but where those needs are going. So where do we see, you know, whether it's because of competitors doing different things, whether it's because of like the, you know, what I was saying about solar cells is that it, I mean, there's just a lot about the manufacturing process that makes things cheaper. That's like, Oh, all of a sudden we've got a different market dynamic. So now we can do the same thing, produce power in an entirely different way. Right, right. So when you're talking about customer need, then it's it's about trust. Then it's about building trust that you're. You can't just say that you're innovative. It's like somebody describing themselves as cool. It's it's a it's a label that needs to be. It needs to be built on by trust that you've proven that you are innovative. So you're saying that the customer does need you to be innovative, or at least demonstrate that you're up with the latest that's going on, and that you understand what's going on. But being saying you're innovative isn't sufficient. You need to demonstrate that. Is that what you're saying there? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, the world is dynamic, and and you know people know the world is dynamic. I mean, we live in a world where we not only are experiencing change, but we we acknowledge that change is you know it's the the, mm-hmm. the cliche. The only constant is change. So so we understand that, and and so that's where it's important to. Um, you know, for the customer to understand that you understand them and you're mm-hmm. communicating to them and you're helping them. I mean, mm-hmm. some of the companies that, that I've been working or we've been working in, it's kind of like, how do we, you know, project that we can actually help you, you know, determine what your roadmap is going to be? What are the next things you need to buy? What's the, you know, in your yeah. IT environment, how's that going to involve? Because we've got all of these threats that are coming yeah. at us that we didn't think about five years ago. So, mm-hmm. you know, you know, like today, you know, a firewall today is, is, a, is you know, <laughs> people have a different concept or, or of, the, of the, the, the challenges of having security and firewalls up today mm-hmm. than they do, gosh, even three years ago. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so, um, so but you, you were then talking about the fact that we need to be in touch with the customers. And you also mentioned uh, the innovation around the automobile. So that means that I can't resist using the uh, hackneyed quote from Henry Ford that said that his customers, if he'd asked them, would have asked for a faster horse. They wouldn't ask for a car. So, but that, so sometimes when you're expressing your innovation, is it always going to be what the customer needs or what the customer thinks they need? So that's, a, that, that's, that's the, so you're, you're trying to help them along on a journey, right? So you're, mm-hmm. you're, you're trying to, you know, if you, if you, if you boil down, what the customer needed in that particular case, you'd say the customer needs a way to get around, 
right? Mm-hmm. And and they and they want a faster way to get around, or they don't want it to um, poop as much, right? You know, whatever, yeah, yeah, whatever, yeah. The, whatever the yeah. problem is, because I re- I remember, you know, people mm-hmm. people talking about the cities, uh, the streets of the cities of New York and Chicago were just a mess because. Mm-hmm. Everybody was using yeah. horses to get around, and that yeah. the and the automobile was thought to be clean. Well, now we think of the automobile as being dirty. <laughs> so what's the, yeah, yeah, what's the yeah, clean yeah. alternative? And yeah. um, so it is where you know you so you need to be intimate with the customer, but you need to understand the market dynamics and what's going on around it, and 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 be clear that you're you're providing a more basic more basic need than I'm providing a horse, a buggy, or I'm providing a car, or yeah. I'm providing. Yeah, yeah. Or, you know, like the utility saying, I'm providing power. And the only way now to do it yeah. is oil, gas, coal, blah, blah. Yeah. It's like, well, you know, you need to be thinking about where, you know, the world's going, the market dynamics are going, the, the fact that customers yeah. are starting to perceive the way that they want power in a different way than they did in the past. So, yeah. um, so you know, get this ahead is, of that. This is going back to some real marketing fun- fundamentals, though, isn't it? I mean, when I when I started my marketing education, Robert Rose, who's on the show, recommended that I read uh, Theodore Levitt and Marketing Myopia. And what he talks about is the death of the railway industry because the railway industry, the railway companies thought they were in the railway industry, and what they were in was the transportation industry. And if they'd have realised that, then they would have seen the threat of the roads and the airplane and all those things, and they would yeah. have adapted to what the client at what the, their customers actually needed so is that what you're saying here is that the innovation needs to be in the context of what it not what you do but how you help your clients your, your customers is that what you're saying exactly exactly and, and i think you know your railroad example is a great one because certainly we still have railroads with us um but you know it is become particularly in the united states has become a very mm. stale industry where you know they're not either they're not thinking about the new ways of providing their their service mm-hmm. to clients or their their whether it's regulations or something is hemming them in yeah. uh yeah. you maybe you know you know maybe which is certainly true like in the utility business you've got people who grew up you know in a certain era they're still there mm-hmm. they haven't gone anywhere they're not attracting new talent thinking mm-hmm. about new ways and I, you know, it's interesting because I saw a proposal. I've been tracking transportation issues in in our state, and um, you know, there are one of the the um, train commuter train companies. You know, actually came up with an idea of you know electronic cars that use the same rails that go at a much um, much more fr- higher frequency to move people around in more of an automated mm-hmm. way you know, using the same rail system. And I was like, I heard that. I was like, oh my gosh, as somebody who used to commute from outside Boston into the city, it's like, if I had a more convenient, you know, even if it was something that you could call up like an Uber app saying, you know, I'm here in, you know, I'm here in uh, Newburyport, Massachusetts and want to get to Boston. Zoom, you know, up comes a car. (laughs) Zoom off you. It's like, that's, so that's innovation. Yeah, yeah, and um, and also, I mean, you look at uh, the Hyperloop thing that's happened in California, right? With um, with uh, Richard Branson and Virgin. Hopefully, I've got all that correct. It is Virgin. I think they're behind that. If you can imagine that the people in the railway industry, I don't know how much of that stuff is brand new tech that could only be done today. But if we, if, you know, surely um, you, there, there's an awful lot of innovation that could have been applied in those industries earlier on. Absolutely, absolutely. And they wouldn't have fallen prey to the competition of the, yeah. of the yeah. you know, automobile, et cetera. 
Yeah, yeah. So from from the perspective of uh, back to our conversation about brand purpose. So if I'm building a brand purpose, it's clear that innovation or at least being in touch with the zeitgeist of the problem that I'm trying to solve and where that might be going is important. Right. So is it so would you say that every brand in their brand purpose needs to have an element of, of of innovation in that? Absolutely. Absolutely. And and I think from a purpose of what the marketer role in that, I mean, that's where, again, we were talking about cust- intimacy with a customer, understanding, mm-hmm. you know, what their, their, um, you know, how they observe needs, putting, you know, yeah. putting things in front of them to get feedback. And so, I mean, I think we've all been in companies where, you know, sometimes you test the waters with customer advisory boards mm-hmm. or voice yeah. of the customer programs yeah. or customer advocacy, you know, and, and um, they, they often appear to be, um, you know, nice things to do. Mm-hmm. But in reality, I think they are necessary things to do because it's mm-hmm. part of marketing's role in the ability to, you know, be a feedback loop. Um, will not only just help to project where the market is going because you're listening to customers talk, but be that feedback loop. Your sales can be that feedback loop because they're getting yeah. asked questions. Um, you know, they're having personal discussions with customers. Yeah. And so it's very important for, you know, the product functions and the fiscal functions mm-hmm. of, an, of an organization to be listening to that as opposed to being, you know, just you know, let's, let's try to squeeze more profitability. Let's try to get the most out and sell the most for the least expense and blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, certainly American car companies in the sixties and seventies became, um, you know, uh, you know, victims of, of that. And, you yeah. know, there's some great, great, great books on that topic about how they just so focused on profitability, not, not thinking where the customers were going and what they needed to do to, to provide the, but, so, yeah, so we as marketers, we need to try and weave in innovation into our messaging. We need to listen to our customers to understand where the direction the company is going now. And also, um, you know, I've been in the B2B tech industry for an awful long time, and I have seen trends where a trend has been developed by the vendor community and by the analysts and by the, you know, those, the goldfish bowl, if you like. But this is where the industry is running. I mean, web content management was going to be dead about 15 t- times in the last 20 years, right? But people still buy web content management solutions. And there are, are, you know, there'll be a startup that's probably happening that's been open for a few months that we'll find that we've never heard of that's a new way. They're probably headless, new way of doing these things. So how do you break out of your industry goldfish bowl like that? Because you're used to trusting the analysts, you're used to trusting your customers and your colleagues and other people that talk around your industry. How do you break out of that and really understand where this category you're in is really going? So I think that that is where um, some of the things that I had just mentioned about like a customer advisory board or a um, voice of the customer program really helps ground you know, ground you because it's, it's mm-hmm. because again, you can, you can say, you know, we heard this great thing from Gartner Forrester and we're, we're thinking of positioning our product, you know, a yeah. certain way, or, yeah. you know, we're adding this functionality and, and, you know, you've got to really press to say, what's the value of this to you? And, mm-hmm. and, and, um, and, you know, are we, are we barking up the right tree, yeah. so to speak? And, and, um, and just try to ground yourself in reality. And you always got to 
I mean, everybody has to always step back and say, you know, am I, <laughs> am I as cool as I think I am? <laughs> or, you know, or, yeah, yeah, or, yeah. And, and be, be honest about it. Um, yeah, so. yeah. You're getting your customers really to call bullshit on some of these ideas that you might have. That, and they're going to yeah. say, no, that's not what we need at all. We need this. But then sometimes I think we get caught up in it, don't we? We get caught up in the, um, in the shiny ball syndrome. And it's actually we want to do the shiny ball and, and it doesn't matter what they say. <laughs> we want to we want to be over here. We want to be. So that's really interesting. Thank you very much, Jeff. So brand purpose, um, innovation needs to be part of that, but it needs to be grounded in voice of the customer, as which is what we've said a few after, I think, on almost yep. every show. Yep. Um, and we need to prove it through our thought leadership that we know where our category is going and we need to think about our broader category and the thing that we're doing to our customer not just the product we provide. Is that neatly summarized? Where I couldn't have said it better myself. <laughs> I think I'll just well, leave I'm, it right there. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm trying to. And um, are we? Uh, is it? Are, are we still feeling that we're heroes? Yes. From last week. Yes, we are. So I play well, out that, heroes. That is, that's our aspiration: is to really be heroes. Excellent. Yes. All right. All right, Jeff. Well, and will I, will you join me next week for the third part? I hope you do. Sure. Absolutely. Excellent. All, All right. I'll speak to you then. Bye bye. Thank you, Jeff. And a bit more heroes from David Bowie there. Let us know what you think of Brand Purpose. Or maybe you have a topic you'd like us to discuss. You know where to find us. We're Rockstar CMO on Twitter and LinkedIn. And, of course, I'll include all of Jeff's links in the show notes. Right, on to this week's guest. I've been saying at the end of the last few episodes that next week our guest will be Julia Bennett, the brand new CMO of global law firm Brand Rudnick. Well, finally, we got our schedules aligned and the technology worked. And here she is. As the Chief Marketing Officer, Julia Bennett leads Brown Rudnick's business development, marketing, public relations and communications strategies and initiatives for the firm's offices worldwide. Julia is a trained lawyer and before joining Brown Rudnick, Julia was the Senior Director of Business Development at a major law firm, overseeing the business development and sales enablement, client expansion, research and competitive intelligence teams. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. I certainly do. Hello, Julia. Welcome to Rockstar CMO FM, finally. <laughs> yes, finally. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> hey, you're welcome. And, and I'm actually having you twice because I have to confess we had a bit of a problem with the recording last time. So thank you for rejoining. Uh, yes. And I've been, I've been promising the listeners this conversation for the last couple of weeks. So, so here you are. So that's excellent. Yes, right. <laughs> Perfect. Hopefully I will not disappoint. <laughs> no, exactly. Well, I'm sure you won't. So, um, Julia, um, for people that don't know you, tell us a little bit about yourself. 
Sure. So I am currently the chief marketing officer newly appointed for Brown Rudnick, which is Uh a global law firm helping um, all kinds of business clients with all manner of legal issues. Uh Uh, Prior to that, I was senior director of business development at another large law firm. Um, And before that, I was a practicing attorney. So I sort of come by it honestly. Yeah, I saw that. I saw that you're um, you're educated in law. So that's a circuitous route for a marketer, isn't it? Coming from a law background? It definitely is. You know, I think I probably caught the bug um, as an associate helping partners put together pitches and then Mm -hmm. frankly, working directly with clients and found I liked, you know, working with them and growing the business maybe that better than I liked actually doing the work. So. Right, right. Yeah. And I, I got to congratulate you. You recently appeared in a in a law magazine, didn't you, for your for joining? Yeah. I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, very cool. The American Lawyer, which is probably the um, trade publication for law firms in the U.S., yeah. uh, covered um, my move to Brown Rudnick, along with many other great CMOs who've made moves into law firms recently. Yeah. Yeah, no, that was. Uh, I thought that was great coverage. Um, so you're educated in law, and what what inspired? So you then you went into business development. You were saying so. Is that what inspired you to get into marketing? It is. You know, in law firms, um, you know, business development is probably not a good term. It's probably really better called sales enablement mm-hmm. because the laws, particularly here, restrict non-lawyers from actually going out and getting clients. Uh-huh. Um, but we do help our partners. Um, with marketing strategy, we lend a hand on marketing materials and content mm-hmm. and things like that and help them get ready to actually pitch. Um, so you're almost working on a continuum when you're working in business development. Right, right, right. So so did you need to be a lawyer in order to do business development or you were enabling lawyers to develop their own businesses? We're enabling lawyers. There are many, mm-hmm. many people who work in business development in law firms who are not lawyers, but certainly mm-hmm. being a lawyer helps me understand what is going on right, with right. the and clients the, as well as the partners. And what's the, what's the key challenge there? Because I can imagine that you're you're kind of helping somebody who perhaps doesn't have your same passion for sales and marketing <laughs> right. to do sales and marketing. How, how do you find that coaching lawyers to 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 add that sort of string to their bow? It's funny. I like to say I'm a wing woman. Um, I'm there to, you know, help people feel confident and pump them up, but also really to be the voice um, for the client and to help people to remember that even though we're business to business, we're also human to human, especially in law, because we're really providing our expertise and, you know, personal services. So it's, you know, making sure people are thinking about what the individual hiring them might care about and not just you know, the stats on the sheet of what the expert is and what right. the product is, so to say. Right, right. Okay. So, and that that's what you find your transition is to turn the, the, the thing that you're selling into something that's meaningful and useful for the, for the customer that's, that's buying. Yep. That's right. You know, and helping people make an emotional connection really mm-hmm. um, from one person to another person. Uh, yeah. That's what I think distinguishes lawyers. Yeah, yeah, I think that's interesting because, um, you know, your space, I don't, I mean, I'm a B2B um, marketer, which I guess you're B2B as well. But um, for yeah. me, it's all technology and stuff. And I'm usually translating technical features and functions into business ideas. And it sounds like that's very similar for you. You're translating law <laughs> effectively yeah. into how how that can help someone. 
Yeah, that's right. I mean, I like to say that businesses have business problems and law is the vehicle to solve those problems. Mm -hmm. And the expertise really comes from the human beings. So you have to understand the business in order to help solve the problem using law as the tool. Right, right. And coming from a business development perspective and and transferring into a as a marketer, I think that's a good background for a lot of marketers. What did that teach you about business development and now to move into marketing? Sure. You know, what's interesting is that when you're doing business development, you hear right away what was effective and what was not, mm-hmm. what marketing tactics were impactful, mm-hmm. what things people didn't think about or look at. And you know really quickly whether you won or not and why. And so it allows you to really quickly pivot back to updating or changing whatever your marketing strategy was mm-hmm. um, or freshening things mm-hmm. to make them more impactful. I think it's a, um, a perfect translation from business development uh, to marketing. Yeah, well, that's that connection with the customer, isn't it? Because if you're on the front line doing business development, you're talking to the customer every day. And there's a lot of conversation. We have this conversation on, on on the podcast quite often about the fact that marketers don't talk to customers enough. So they lose that connection. Is that is that what you think you've you've earned there? Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly right. You know, it's funny, we were having a conversation yesterday about marketing brochures. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, some partners really love marketing brochures. Mm-hmm. And uh, someone said to me offline, like, I don't think people really read them. And mm-hmm. I said, yeah, you know, my experience is that by the time you get into the room, people aren't really reading them. No. So how do we make them something people look at where they can get what they need? Or how do we have the confidence not to come in? Yeah. With them? It's yeah. those little pivots that you get when you're on the front line and you can communicate back. It just makes yeah. the marketing more effective. Yeah, and it's interesting because sales guys tend to be creatures of habit in that way, and they and yeah. they they want the brochure because they've always had the brochure. It's almost like a um a crutch or a or a um, you know a, it's a, a security a blanket. Yeah, 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 and and they've always got that, and they can leaf through it or leave it, and you know, and like you say, the customer probably just like <laughs> puts it on the right. side, never touches <laughs> it, but that transaction was done, and so yeah, so that's that's interesting. So it's that connection with the customer that you learn from from being business development, which I think a lot of marketers have learned. But you've recently, as we said at the beginning, become a CMO. So mm-hmm. what advice would you give to other folks? And that's what this show is all about. Would you give to other folks becoming a CMO? Sure. So I would say it's important to stay aligned with the business Mm -hmm. and stay aligned with the client who, you know, or the customer, depending on what your business is. Um, It's easy for all of us to get wrapped up into our marketing tactics and we Mm -hmm. can, you know, see who's looking and reading and we get that Mm -hmm. instant gratification, but you really have to keep your ear to the ground um, and be able to translate for the marketers. And for me, Mm -hmm. that's what I find is um, Mm -hmm. serving me. Mm. Well, and so that's really understanding what the law firm needs in terms of revenue is that and in terms of the, the clients you need to onboard and yep. stuff. Yep. In terms of revenue and frankly, just looking down the pike and seeing what kinds of legal issues are coming up, mm-hmm. um, what kinds of things, frankly, our clients haven't even thought of and making sure yeah. you're flagging them right. um, and then speaking that business language. Um, but yeah. then turning your marketing language back on when you're with your your marketing tribe, so to speak. Right, right. And in your law firm, do they? Is it like new areas of practice open up or new f- opportunities open up in the market? And then you've got to be alive to that as a marketer that like we now offer this service, or we think there's going to be something coming along. I don't know some some change in the law that we need to be all ready for because there'll be consumer demand for that. Is that is that what you're saying? Yeah. 
That's exactly right. I mean, if you think about COVID now, Mm -hmm. all of a sudden, everybody's got to get expert on how to get out of leases, for example, Mm -hmm. or, you know, how to treat employees who, you know, may be sick or may not. What can you ask them? What what can't you ask them? And those are whole new areas of law that were sort of unexplored. And we have to be at the forefront of that. Yeah, it's interesting you bring up COVID because you were hired during COVID, right? Yes. How did that process go for you? Um, it was all on Zoom, which is yeah. very funny. It's like you have one screen for your day job and one screen that you interview in. Yeah. And I've still not met many people because we're just sort of starting to get back to it. Yeah. Uh, but it's a very different experience. And there has to be a lot of trust there, right, mm-hmm. to go into something where you haven't actually physically met the people. Yeah, yeah. And where are you based? You're in D.C., aren't you? Yep. So I'm based in DC. Our mm-hmm. firm is uh, Boston based. Right. London is probably our largest office. Right. <laughs> and so I have people um, who work with me on my team all across the world, none of whom right. I have met in person. And cool. so, yeah, yeah it's How definitely exciting. an experiment. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. But it sounds like we might see you in London then at some point. <laughs> Hopefully soon, fingers <laughs> crossed. You know, I know restrictions keep getting pushed. And so we're yeah. saying, like, oh, maybe in the fall now. Yeah, yeah. So, so we just were talking about the advice you'd give to aspiring and CMOs, and I think it's interesting being hired during the pandemic. I think it's a unique situation, isn't it, that that you just shared about what you need to do. Um, what advice were you given when you when you decided to to pick this up? Did you have a good support around you? Was did you get some good advice to move yeah, forward? Yeah, definitely. And I have to say, lots of CMOs just reached out to me on LinkedIn and said, yeah. "Hey, I saw this. Or I heard this. Congratulations. I'm here if you need me." I think the best advice to the point about uh, employees was to just jump right in with my team, Mm -hmm. roll up my sleeves and get in on projects and let that be the vehicle to learn them and not try to be too formal with it. And that, um, I think, has been great advice. Right, right, right. So just jump in with your team. And have you found that being a lawyer helps you? You know, you've got that subject matter expertise already in place. So have you got a little bit of an advantage being a CMO of a law firm because you've got that background (laughs) or what do you think? I think... I think I do. I understand all the legalese because I was mm-hmm. trained on it. Yeah. Um, I think people trust my opinion because I've had to be the person who had to go in front of the client or get their work yeah. done. And yeah. I understand the nuance there. And then frankly, my network is lawyers. So, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I can get that feedback right away. Yeah. Yeah. So you've got credibility both internally and externally. So you can, you can tell a story and it's, it's credible because you're a lawyer yourself. Yep, I'd like to think so. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds excellent. That sounds excellent. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna move on to our um, our final. So that would be the advice you give to aspiring CMO. So I'm gonna move on to our final question. Uh, our regular feature, the Rockstar CMO swimming pool, our pool to hell for all the BS, snake oil, and overhyped trends in this industry that we love. What would you throw in that? So, you know, I was thinking about this a lot and mm-hmm. just this week, um, maybe because I was thinking about marketing brochures, Yeah. Um, the phrase efficient and effective, I feel is probably on every law firm's <laughs> website or every law firm's brochure. And we yeah. all say we're efficient and effective. And I wish we could just sort of strike it from the canon. Yeah. But that's it. That's just that, just that phrase you want to get rid of. <laughs> yeah. Let's just... <laughs> put a moratorium on it or something. It's become table stakes, right? Right. So right. I don't know if it's distinguishing anymore, but we all have the habit, right, as yeah. content writers of putting that in there. Yeah. Um, and I think we need to pause it. I think that's really interesting because I think every industry has something like that. I mean, in the B2B uh, industry, we, every every vendor is, is leading 
we're all leading right. vendors and we're all, you know, and all of that stuff. So what would you do instead? What, what do you think that people need to do instead if you're relying on these business speak tropes that are, that are in our industries? What advice do you give to marketers when they to try and break out of that language? Sure. I would say throw away the legalese or whatever the that mm-hmm. language is. Just write as a human being, you know, mm-hmm. and be willing to be transparent and honest about why. So in this case, if we say we're efficient and effective at Brown mm-hmm. Redneck, what we say is we are small mm-hmm. um, relative to our peers. We're purposely lean so that we can work at the same speed as our clients. To mm-hmm. me, that communicates so much more than efficient and effective. Like, right. you know. Right, um, right, and it shows that there's a human being and a reasoning behind right. why we describe ourselves the way we are. Right, right. So it's about finding is and it, is it is it finding the customer's language for saying the same thing, and how they would think about you. You know, I say I do think that's also true. That's a good point. I mean, I um, recently taught my attorneys who work with tech companies to say sales enablement. Right, yeah, and they're like, yeah. oh yeah, that makes perfect sense. I'm like, right, that's probably the language your clients have been using forever, um, you know, pivot into that and lean into that. I think it adds some credibility too, Mm -hmm. and it's just easier to understand. Yeah, yeah. No, it's it's fantastic. Yes. And um, yeah, so it's fantastic that we've got you on the show and uh, for the second time we're trying (laughs) and managed to record something, which is wonderful. Um, If people were to um, spin the dial on the interwebs, where would they find you, Julia? Right now, LinkedIn is the mm-hmm. best place to connect with me. I love yeah. to connect with people and learn more. Yeah. Um, so certainly reach out. Let me know you heard me on the podcast. Yeah. And as a listener yourself, thank you very much for listening. And um, I look forward to speaking to you soon. I'll obviously include links to you and your firm in the show notes and to the article where you were featured by the American <laughs> lawyer. So I'll do that too. And so My parents will love that. They're very proud. I can imagine. <laughs> I can imagine. Who wouldn't be? Well, well done. And thank you very much for being on the show. And I'll speak to you very soon, Julia. Cheers. Thank yes, you very much. thanks for having me. You're very welcome. Bye-bye. Thank you, Julia. Well, that was worth the wait. And it was an absolute pleasure to chat to another listener and some great advice for new CMOs, especially if you're starting a new job remotely during a pandemic. Right. It's that time of the week. It's Friday evening and time to find out where my friend and content marketing guru, Robert Rose, would like to transport us to for a marketing thought and a cocktail in the Rockstar CMO virtual bar. Good evening, Robert. What are you drinking? Oh, hello, my friend. Welcome to the bar. It's so good to see you here. Um, well, let's see. This week, uh, I did all the hashtag adulting. Um, <laughs> and so I think we deserve like a double. Uh, um, it, it is it is one of those it is one of those weeks where you know you feel like you just really, really worked. Yes. Um and so, uh, I have a summer drink for us because it is summer, um, and um, and it's feeling very summery. So I have what I'm calling the plus one because of all the hard work we did. Yes. Um, so the plus one lemonade. Um, 
So it's lemon, obviously, for the lemonade. Yes. Um, a splash of orange, just right. because you need a little sweetness there. Yeah. Uh, coconut nectar, which makes it mm, very nice. Yeah. Um, and then a little turmeric. And I know that sounds a little weird, but it's just, it's it's a little turmeric in there. Um, <laughs> makes Gives it just a little bit of a spice. Uh, and then, of course, a heaping, <laughs> heaping uh, serving of our favorite tequila reposado. So there you have it. That's very what we're drinking nice. tonight. Very nice. We I, we did get a comment on last week's drink on Twitter um, about all the mint that you... But I, I think uh, it was um, Siobhan Fagan at CMS Wire, and she actually conflated both of our drinks, where she, <laughs> where she was having all the mint that you had last week with the gin that I have. So. But anyway, let me have a look at some... Uh, so it's good that we're reaching out to our audience and we're giving them drinking inspiration. So if anybody's got any comments... Yes, there you go. So this week, um, my, uh, my English... Reposado <laughs> is again. I'm turning to gin. You'll be surprised to learn. But I have got ah, a new well, bottle yeah. of gin this week because it was Father's Day, and my wife bought me Hendrix Luna Gin. It's got a very Ooh. nice. It's got a very nice blue. Label. I'm not familiar with that with that uh, particular sub brand of Hendrix, no. but yeah, there we go. Neither was I. So I'm gonna. This will be. Um, it's from their cabinet of curiosities, apparently, according to the label. But it, but this is going to be my my first time as well. So I've just opened. Wow! It. What a perfect what a yes. perfect match, or not, as it usually is, um, with the drink we're having. Yes, I think so. So nice big yeah. slug of that. Oh, uh, did you put ice in yours? Uh, I did. It is summertime. Yeah, we uh, do need a bit of ice. I've done it in the wrong order. I put the gin in first and the ice. So th- people people should be phoning yeah. in at this point and complaining. <laughs> Right, and then um, all those lovely things you're putting in there, wasn't it? Coconut, lemon, and orange. Yes, a little coconut nectar, a little splash of orange, a little lemon. Right. I'm going to so, assume that you have a little cucumber and a little lemon, maybe? Well, um, cucumber, yes. <laughs> I, I, I leave mm-hmm. it to the experts to blend my mixes. I, I, I don't trust I myself with that. So, so ah, yes, indeed, I'm go. sticking to the fever tree because I always think uh, cucumber goes nicely with Hendrix. I'm always a cucumber and Hendrix. Is it a cucumber? That. It's not like a cucumber water that you pour in there, is it? Yes. Or is is it an actual t- piece of cucumber? Well, um, if my desktop bar would stretch to having uh, anything more than two bottles on it and I actually had some vegetables, then, yeah, I mean, if I was serving this to myself and I was somewhere other than my desk, then there would be a big lump of cucumber in this for sure, yes. But um, okay. that would spoil the joke. I mean, it's got to be a gin and tonic. And if I start getting fancy with that, I'll be taking your job. Ah, there we mm. go. Yes, that is true. That we is delicious. That. that is delicious. Excellent. And what are we calling Excellent. that? Uh, we're calling that the plus one lemonade. Love that. I'm not getting the lemonade, obviously, but I could drink yeah. one of these every yeah. week. That's perfect. Thank you very much. And these Absolutely. fine drinks that we're enjoying, uh, our, um, our lemonade, and after all the adulting we've been doing this week. And I remember you used to talk about making a donut, so I assume you've got lots of donuts too. Uh, whereabouts are we going to be drinking these? Well, I, you know, I was thinking about that. Mm-hmm. And I think we need to be, you know, here, here's what I was thinking. The, the, how long has it been since you've been up to Scotland? Oh, uh, many, many years, many years. Okay. I went there on business, I think quite a while ago. Yes. Yes. But I, yes. I like, I like where this is going. Cause I think I'm actually allowed to go to Scotland. So <laughs> if they'll have us, yeah. 
Is that true? <laughs> I, I believe I can travel to Scotland, yes. There are certain parts of the country where they're not letting people into Scotland right now because of the cases of COVID they're having. So if you're in the northwest of England at the moment, I think, if you're in Manchester, Scotland doesn't want you I at see. the moment. So I think we're all right. So, <laughs> ah, yeah. there is a place in Scotland. So my family is from Scotland. Oh, splendid. And... Um, and they, um, they now live the, the family that's left my, you know, all my grandparents have, have passed of course, but the family that's left all my cousins and, mm. and, and whatnot have moved, yes. um, to a place, um, that I don't know how well, you know, Scotland, but it's, um, it's, it's a place called Carnegie. Um, and it's on the coast and it's, it would, the, the closest thing you might be familiar with is just, it's just, um, uh, it's just north of the Isle of Man. Oh yes, and nice. yeah. and so uh, it's small and it's on the coast and it's beautiful there. Um, and I was just seeing pictures from my family on Facebook of some of the uh, they were they were taking pictures from their house, which is right on the water, um, and um, and there was dolphins playing and it was nice and beautiful and that might be a nice place to spend a cool i'm sure it's not as hot as it is here no. um and, and um uh yeah it would be a great place for us to to have these lovely summer drinks that sounds perfect i mean i, I must i imagine with you with it being what 170 degrees or something outside that you must look upon a, a slightly drizzly day in scotland as being a light relief <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, exactly, <laughs> exactly. That sounds That's right. wonderful. I used I, to go to I used to go to my 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 um my mother's uh, so it would be my uncle, um, mm -hmm. my mother's brother, um, who uh, who lived up in Aberdeen. Yeah, and we would go there in the summertime, and it was you know I mean it's Miserable. Aberdeen, right? I mean it's, you know <laughs> withering heights and yeah. you know raining and windy and you yeah. know gray and. You know, the yeah. whole, I mean, it's, you know, it's just Aberdeen, right? Yeah. Um, and uh, I loved it. I absolutely <laughs> loved it. I don't know why, but it was, you know, you were inside yeah. all the time, but I absolutely adored, I yeah. loved Aberdeen. Nice. It's, it's funny, isn't it, how we are as humans, where, where we like to travel to where the things are different and those people are looking at us going, why are you here? I'd rather be in California. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That sounds funny. So, and I mean, the thing is, is I think if we were to be drinking these drinks, if you were looking for your reposado in in a nice part of Scotland, I think they'll be saying, "I think you mean a yeah, whiskey." I, and so. the, the finding <laughs> reposado in Scotland is probably a task hard enough, right? <laughs> I think they'll be selling you to, eat, to drink the local whiskey. So, um, and yeah, so we're enjoying exactly. these drinks, and we're we're looking at <laughs> shut your head. <laughs> <laughs> we're looking at the the windswept summer that is in Scotland. Uh, what would we be uh, would we talking about? Well, you know, what's on my mind is something is, you know, in a word, details. Um, it's, it's, it's funny. I was having a conversation with a client recently um, that um, we're currently um, and, and started a content audit uh, mm -hmm. with. And it reminded me of uh, my hatred for flossing. <laughs> um, and, but here's the thing I hate, you know, and, it, but it's not the flossing part that I hate, by the way, it's the, it's the time, right? Yeah. I always think of it as such a waste of time. I'm like, ah, I've got better things to do. Can't I just brush my teeth and save the yeah. five minutes or seven minutes that I'm going to spend flossing? Yeah. And 
I went to the dentist and the dentist, you know, and, and this is after flossing for, for some time where I had actually forced myself to do it. And they were, and the hygienist basically turned to me and said, Hey, Oh, you've, you know, somebody has been flossing. Ooh. And I realized after having a very pleasant teeth cleaning for the first time in, you know, maybe 20 years that there was an ROI there. There was an ROI for actual flossing. So yeah. I have still don't love it, but, but I do it now much more regularly because the, you know, the benefit, I can see it. Mm. And it reminded me of this content audit because one of the things that we discovered, um, so this company basically had produced, you know, blog posts and eBooks and podcasts and web. I mean, they've been creating content for, you know, a couple of years, three years now. And they had about 5,000 pieces all in. And when they began this journey, when they started their content marketing strategy, maybe, you know, whatever it was, two and a half, three years ago, they actually thought it through and, you know, put all the right pieces in place and they put in a collaboration and calendaring tool and it associates all this internal meta, you know, they went to the, you know, trouble of getting a metadata structure where each of the assets was going to be tracked by persona and by what stage of the journey this content piece was for the associated product that it would be uh, you know aligned with the campaign that it was part of the channel that it was going on and they'd done all that right and the problem was is that the team as well as others that were contributing content to the process they started in and everybody was good with filling out those details every time they submitted a, a piece of content and then it started to be like flossing um yeah. because and they were under more and more pressure to get more and more out the door and more and more assets produced and so they started skipping it right. they started skipping the metadata attributes um you know, rationalizing, oh, we'll come back to it later and fill it out, you know, once a week and we'll do all the assets. And of course, time never comes, you know, comes yeah. available and they never did it. So then they sort of made a switch about a year and a half into their process and tried to make some of those meta fields mandatory so that they would make sure that it got filled out. But of course, then what happens is, is that in, in haste, everyone started just accepting the default, right? They just yeah. would select whatever, right? So yeah. for example, all was in the selection, you know, for, for persona. So yeah. for, for some reason, about 90% of the assets got tagged as all, right? Which yeah. is a useless sort of yeah. uh, meta tag. And so when we got to this content audit, the client says to us, hey, by the way, all these reports in this beautiful tool that we created, they're all useless. Because, mm. quite frankly, they're all tagged incorrectly. Yeah. And so it's interesting because I just sort of, you know, I guess in, in a way rhetorically asked, well, wouldn't you have rather had 10%, you know, the 5,000 assets, wouldn't you rather have had 10% fewer assets, but know exactly for whom they were produced, what stage of the journey? Mm -hmm. And she was like, yes, I, I get it. We should have yeah. done it. We should have paid attention to those details. And so the question becomes, how do you convince the team to actually do that bit? Yeah. Um, you know, to actually pay attention to the quality of not just the content, but the content about the content, the metadata, the tagging, all of the things that help us understand, you know, our production and our strategy and what we've been doing for the last three and a half years. Yeah. And as it turns out, because I went out and researched it, there is actually some best practices and research here, which says you have to connect it. You have to connect those details frequently with 
the benefit of doing it. And and yeah. it, that's what reminded me of my yeah. dentist's office, right? It wasn't until I went to the dentist that I connected those two concepts yeah. because it's easy to go, we're building great content. We're doing awesome content. You just have to fill out those details more. And, and as it turns out, what people do is, and they rationalize by saying, I'm already doing great content. I don't need to do this other thing, right? Yeah. And instead, we have to connect it to illustrating those reports, showing the benefit, really showing the the return. Because I asked her, I said, when was the last time you showed the team any of the success of those things? And she said, oh, I never run those reports until I need them. It's like, mm. yeah, we have to do that more frequently. Mm-hmm. So anyway, it was one of those things that I, I thought was just a great lesson for us in terms of connecting the benefit of the doing the details yeah. with actually, you know, you know, with actually the, the, the team who's doing them. Yeah, I love that analogy. And I think that in the, I don't know, two decades I've been working with web content management uh, before we even called anything content marketing, I guess. Um, that's always been the challenge. Like metadata is like pulling teeth trying to get people to understand that. And I've always, and th- this is where I think, um, you know, as a bit of an aside, I think AI and stuff has got to come in and help us with this stuff. But, um, or machine learning, whichever one it is. But we, the, the, the thing is we spend so much time trying to get to understand our audience and every little in detail about their the persona and stuff like that if we don't tag our content up the, the moment that we lose so much value i mean it, you, they may say yes this is a great piece of content yes it's a great piece of content then and then right but it's not great if it's not tagged because we can't reuse it well that's exactly right yeah. i mean the 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 i mean just to just to sort of nail that point home, mm-hmm. another client who had actually done the the work and have actually done the thing, you know, when we were starting our content audit, they simply sent us a spreadsheet, yeah. and they said, "Here's a data export of the last three years of our content efforts, yeah. which have all been tagged correctly and all great." And it was about a two hour exercise to go through and say, "Hey, listen, did you realize that over the last three years?" 67% of your content has been for this one persona at this one stage of the journey, mm. you're way overweighted there. And when people are complaining that there's not enough content at the, you know, further down in the funnel, they're right. You haven't been producing that. And they just, you know, they're so heads down working hard every day. They just don't see that. And so making a business case for why you want to change the editorial strategy or why you want to change the weighting of content or the how you're producing it for one part of the buyer's journey over another, all of that information becomes incredibly important Mm -hmm. to be able to get to quickly and to be able to sort of see because without knowing it, you just sort of have to guess. Yeah. And, and, and it's, and it's such an incredibly important thing and, and, and powerful thing to be able to say, look, here are the numbers. Here's the data. Yeah. Yeah. It's nice that we're getting, you know, X amount of traffic from this part of the website, but you can see all of our content efforts are focused over here because they're just the loudest and bark yeah. the meanest yeah. um, for us to create content. And so we're focusing exactly in the wrong area, you know, if, if we want to be more effective or we're producing too much content or we're not producing enough content or we're not producing yeah. the kind of content that our audience reacts to is made so much easier to track if we're tracking that internal information. And it's just, it's the details, right? It's just getting the details right. Yeah, no, I love that. I love that, Robert. And it's, it, and the, 
I'm jealously listening to you talking about a client that sends you a spreadsheet. <laughs> you can say within two hours, 67% of your content is for one persona. That's that sounds fantastic. So, and and I love the idea that it that we can make the analogy to to flossing. I think that that uh, resonates with anybody and anybody that's been paid a compliment by their hygienist, Robert, deserves praise. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, well done there. And um, so that's that's great. Thank you very much. And um, when um, when where would people find other thoughts such as this from you, Mr. Rose? Uh, they would find that probably on our website, mm -hmm. uh, which is contentadvisory.net. And when people spin the dial on the interwebs, they would find you where? Oh, you know, social media. <laughs> what are we going to do? Um, you know, Twitter. Uh, I'm on Twitter. Uh, I'm finding a new like. I won't say love, but I'm finding a new like for Twitter. Mm -hmm. uh, Robert underscore Rose is my Twitter handle there. And I've been spending a little more time there lately. And then, of course, on LinkedIn as well. Yeah, I find with Twitter, uh, lists is what saves me at Twitter because you can just curate the madness a bit better. I think with lists, you can't do that. Yeah, on yeah. I, I like the lists. Just, uh, and yeah. the content's getting better too, I think. I well, that it. just depends on who you hang out with. <laughs> well, that's true. That's absolutely true. That's absolutely true. <laughs> well, thank you very much, Robert. And um, may I, as uh, as this is going, uh, this this episode will go out on Saturday. Uh, may I wish you a happy birthday for Monday, please? Oh, you're very kind. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. And will I see you next week here in the bar? Oh, you will. I, you know, as usual, I'm gonna head back up into the air vent now <laughs> and sort of make my way for the weekend. <laughs> All right. I'll see you then. Thank you very much. Cheers. You got it. Thank you, Robert. I'm sure if you've had anything to do with content, you'll know that challenge of metadata and tagging and all that stuff. And what a great analogy of flossing. Love that. So that's a wrap on episode 68 of the Rockstar CMO Effing Marketing Podcast. Thanks again to Jeff, Julia and Robert. I really appreciate their time and for them to share their insight. So please check out their links in the show notes, follow them and share their work. You can find the show notes at rockstarcmo.fm where you can also find all our previous episodes. But most of all, thank you for dropping a dime into your podcasting jukebox, selecting our track and jiving along with us. Let me know what you think. Please leave a rating or review or just keep listening. I'm glad you're here. Next week, Jeff Clark returns. I'm looking forward to a chat with Margie Agin, an award-winning B2B marketer. And as you've heard, Robert Rose will be back in our virtual Rockstar CMO bar. Until then, I've been your host, Ian Truscott, and I hope you'll join us again next week here at Rockstar CMO FM. You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy, tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her.
Go subscribe. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.